1: If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele.
0: And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 118 of the Leading Learning Podcast. We're in the run-up to our annual Learning Technology Design, or LTD, virtual conference, which you can, of course, find out more about at ltd.tagoras.com. And as part of that event, we will be delivering a session on learning business strategy. So we thought we'd use this episode to prime the pump a little bit by talking about strategy and how it applies to learning businesses. Before we do that, though, we want to acknowledge our sponsor for the first quarter of 2018.
1: We're happy to have Blue Sky eLearn sponsoring this quarter. Blue Sky is the maker of the PATH Learning Management System, an award winning cloud based learning solution that empowers your organization to maximize its message. Blue Sky also provides a range of virtual event and instructional services to help you maximize your content and create deeper engagement with your audience. To find out more about Blue Sky eLearn and everything it offers, visit blueskyelearn.com.
0: For the resources for this episode, we're going to point to two old favorites, our learning business maturity model and our association learning plus technology report. And uh, we're pointing to those mainly because we reference both of them in our discussion of strategy. So it's going to be good to be able to refer to them. To access them, just go to the show notes for this episode at leadinglearning.com slash episode 118. Now, strategy. Strategy. Aside from our own self-serving purposes of uh, just practicing some ideas before LTD, uh, maybe we should start off by talking about why else we think it is worth dedicating an episode to this topic.
1: Well, I think a key reason is that we know there's a lot of, um, uh, of, of strategy problems out there um, among, in particular, organizations in the business of lifelong learning. Basically, many of them simply don't have a strategy. Um, As we've discussed in an earlier episode on Blue Ocean Strategy, we recently released the fifth edition of our Association Learning Plus Technology report. And that report shows um, the findings around a new question about strategy. We've asked for years about strategy in terms of the use of technology to enhance and enable learning. And that's been relatively lacking, relatively flat over um, the years that we've been asking, averaging not much more than 20%. It was 23% in 2017. But in this 2017 report, um, we also asked about general learning strategy. So we asked, does your organization have a formal documented strategy for its learning and education business? And the percentage for that was better. 37.7% of respondents said that they do have a formal documented strategy for their learning and education business. So that does sound better, but it's still quite low given the importance of strategy. By the way, you can get to all of that data, the entire association learning plus technology report by going to the show notes at leadinglearning.com slash episode 118. And we'll also be sure to link to that blue ocean strategy episode that I mentioned in the show notes as well.
0: And now that data, of course, is for trade and professional associations, they were the, the focus of that report. And, and certainly, you know, Big focus for them, education is usually a part of the mission of those organizations. So you would certainly want to have a strategy if, if that is in fact part of your mission. We know from broader experience uh, too, though, that this this applies to other types of learning businesses. So not just trade and professional associations. You know, a lot of uh, learning businesses are, businesses either don't have a strategy or. They don't have a particularly good strategy. They have bad strategy, uh, which we'll talk about uh, here in a little bit as well. So, you know, we we think it's an important enough topic for learning businesses in general that we made it one of the five domains in our learning business maturity model. And for listeners who are not familiar with the maturity model at this point, it's a free resource we've created that provides a, a framework, really, for assessing the maturity of your learning and education business across five domains, and then determining where to focus your efforts going forward. And again, uh, we'll be linking to that in the show notes at leadinglearning.com slash episode 118. Um, and you'll be able to, you know, to get it and, and review it in, in detail there. But in the model, you know, we identify those five domains on which organizations need to focus in order to build a mature, high-performing learning business. And we pose questions about each of the, the, those domains And the questions for strategy are, you know, how clearly articulated is the strategy? Has it been communicated and embraced broadly throughout the organization? And are clear metrics established and tracked? And does the organization adjust strategy based on the data captured?
1: So I think it's worth emphasizing why all of this is so important. There are many ways to define strategy, but the key outcome of any well-formulated strategy is that it provides you with a framework for making decisions, a framework for making decisions. So creating a strategy is always an exercise in narrowing your choices and focusing in on the activities that will most contribute to progress. And then once you have that strategy in place, it becomes a point of reference for all of the other choices you inevitably make, when you have to run your learning business. So whether you're making decisions about technology or about hiring or which products to develop or which marketing campaigns to run, you should always be asking, does this actually support our strategy? And if it doesn't, you shouldn't do it. Without that kind of decision framework in place, it's almost certain that an organization will waste time and resources and then ultimately, not achieve its goals.
0: And I think that word framework is really important. And it points to how we prefer to define strategy, namely that we think of a good strategy as consisting of really three components that form that sort of framework that you just referenced there, Salisa. And those components are a diagnosis, a guiding policy, and a set of coherent actions. These are really the, the core of any strategy. And, and we'll say, you know, these are terms that, that we want to be clear about up front that came from Richard Rummelt. Uh, and, and Rummelt is a business professor at UCLA, and he's really one of the most clear and cogent thinkers in the area of strategy that, that we've encountered. Uh, we had the, the pleasure of reading Rummelt's book, Good Strategy, Bad Strategy, after we'd already been doing strategy work for many years. And he just captured so well what we had felt had been core to our own approach. And we really like the terms that he uses, so we've borrowed them uh, for the purposes of this episode. And we and we definitely, definitely recommend his book, Good Strategy, Bad Strategy. We'll be sure to link to that in the show notes uh, as well. But maybe we should take uh, uh, a minute just to define at the high level each of those terms that we just talked about, diagnosis, guiding policy, coherent actions, and then work them through an example to help make them a little more concrete.
1: Uh, That sounds good. And, And so as you said, there are three components, diagnosis, guiding policy, and coherent action. So a diagnosis involves gathering critical information about your current situation, identifying the key challenges represented by the situation, and identifying the most compelling opportunities that would result from tackling one or more of those key challenges. Your guiding policy is your general approach to overcoming the challenges that you've identified and uh, your general approach for making significant progress towards uh realizing that that overcoming of the challenge. So put another way a guiding policy describes your path or your trajectory for how to achieve what we've characterized as the desired future state. And a critical part of a good policy is that it reflects some sort of advantage or strength that your organization has that will appeal appeal to your audience and that it's going to be very hard for others to copy. And then finally, coherent, action. Coherent actions are the set of major coordinated steps that you're going to take to support the guiding policy. They don't describe every action you're going to take, so we're, we're not talking about getting down uh, into the nitty-gritty, into the details, into tactics, but they do indicate your major initial actions, and they indicate the general categories of action that are going to be important going forward.
0: So those are the terms diagnosis guiding policy coherent actions and now let's take an example to you know make all of that uh, a little more concrete and we work with a lot of organizations we do uh, a lot of strategy work so we've created these diagnoses and policies and, and coherent actions in, in many instances or really worked with organizations to create them. Now, for the sake of privacy, of course, we're not going to name an actual organization, um, but we'll consider a, a general type of organization that we've worked with you know, many times in, in recent years. And um, so we'll describe this example as a national organization that's in a service-oriented industry, and uh, this is a membership organization, um, and the organization uh, offers a credential uh, with a continuing education requirement that goes along with that credential, but the credential itself is not required for employment in the field, so you don't have to have the, the credential to work in the field. And so, you know, what you want to do with a diagnosis when you're working with a, an organization like this, working with your own organization, is you just fundamentally want to get at what what's going on here. Um, that's another way that Rumelt puts it: is you know, what's really going on, um, and truly understanding it, trying to get rid of assumptions, look at the the core facts um, that, that you can gather about the the situation, and We won't give you every fact here, but uh, definitely note some of the, the really key ones that were part of the diagnosis for this particular organization. So first of all, there's a lot of disruption in this particular field, in this particular industry mostly because of technology. Um, so a lot of jobs being re- replaced by technology or really changed uh, fundamentally by technology, but also a rise in outsourcing and offshoring of traditional jobs in the industry. And, and as a result, there was really a whole new employer segment and a whole new employee segment within this industry. And there was something of a perception that the, the industry, at least as it was traditionally understood, was in a bit of a state of decline. There was some wage stagnation for the traditional employees in the industry. So again, very disrupted sort of uh, environment. And then within this environment, uh, declining annual conference attendance and uh, I'm assuming some of the things I'm saying at this point are uh, resonating with uh, listeners. A lot of people have uh, experienced disruption in their field. A lot of people are uh, seeing declining clients and, and conference attendance. Uh, this organization had, had tried e-learning and was getting, you know, some receptivity to it, but but overall the revenue was still pretty modest, and uh, and the revenue related to their credentialing uh, products uh, were, it was also kind of flat uh, at this point. As I noted earlier, the credential was not required, um, and there was also the sense that uh, maybe there wasn't as high level of just awareness and general value perception uh, among potential candidates uh, and then also among employers, you know, because often employers really are the pull through for a credential. If employers value it, then it's going to be valued by the the candidates. Um, There's also some sense that, you know, maybe the credential wasn't properly structured, that, you know, everyone doesn't necessarily need a full credential uh, and those who do may not want to earn it all at once. And then finally, with all of this, there was a, a threat of declining membership levels um, because, you know, not just the annual conference going down uh, among the traditional base of members, uh, there was there was declining renewals and, and and less new people coming in. But at the same time, there was a huge growth in what could be members, prospective members uh, internationally because of the offshoring that had been going, been going on. And, uh, and, and also in this, this was an organization that, uh, that had chapters, um, and, and chapters were often access points for prospective members, prospective learners, but the coordination around that um, was pretty minimal, um, and it wasn't necessarily being leveraged. So that uh, those are sort of the facts of the situation. Trying to get at what's going on here, but then you know to, to really to dig into that and come at you know what what are the core challenges here because that's what the strategy is going to have to address. And there are a lot of different things going on here. So you know you have to spend some time discussing, uh, spend some time you know really batting ideas around and, and get at what what really seem to be the fundamental challenges. And in this case, what we felt were the the key challenges were. A, just a a declining value perception. And and this wasn't just about the education, it was a value perception around being identified as a professional in this particular field um, through membership. And then through credentialing and by extension through the education that supports the credentialing. So there was sort of a a domino effect here and, you know, hard to tell which way it was going. You know, membership to credential to education or education to credential to membership. But the dots were not connecting because the value of these things just didn't really seem to be fully coming across in in the marketplace. And then the second key challenge was um, really increasing access to education for what had become uh, what traditionally been a pretty widely distributed audience, but now is even more widely distributed because of uh, the, the international expansion of the workforce, um, and it's also an economically challenged workforce. Um, partly because of the wage stagnation that had been happening domestically, um, but then also because of, in most of those outsourcing situations, you have uh, lower income levels, lower uh, ability to pay uh, for things. So even if the value could be, could be increased, that value perception could be increased, which was certainly something to aim for, that was still going to be an issue that the organization needed to address. And um, I'll notice kind of an aside here, that you know, in, in this case, it was pretty easy to see that the value perception was a major issue, at least as an outsider uh, coming in. Uh, that was easy to see, and, and not just for education and the profession, but for the profession as a whole. But the organization had not really made the connection between the, the larger value perception issue and educational sales. And you know, we, we've had many other cases where there really was a similar value perception challenge like this, but it was harder to see. So I think it's, you know, it's something always to be Looking for is an organization. What is the value perception of your education of your credentialing? Because that's that's going to drive demand. And you know this is where using tools like interviews and, and well designed survey questions can be very value very valuable. Um, you know it's often easy to see the superficial challenges and, and maybe go after those. But uh, you know you really need to get at the 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 key challenge or challenges that if those are addressed, if those are overcome you're going to have the most impact on the future success of the business. So, again, in this case, a declining value perception and, and some issues around um, really getting access to the, uh, the, the education that was available. So the core strategic question then was going to be what's the most effective impactful approach to addressing those challenges. And so this is where you get to the guiding policy. What, what is the guiding policy going to be? And in and, and this case, there were two uh, elements to the, the guiding policy to, to, to address those two challenges, really. And again, you try to you know get this down to uh, a very focused statement that it's going to be uh, easy to make decisions around. As you were saying uh, earlier, Salisa, I mean, you're trying to arrive at a framework for decision-making here. So you, wh- whatever you come up with in terms of the guiding policy, when you reference it, it needs to basically tell you um, pretty much what to do when you're, when you're trying to make any decision. So major guiding policy was to align with large employer needs and value perception. And doing this with the understanding that if you can effectively address those needs, it's gonna benefit members by raising the perceived value of the education and credentialing initiative. So this is trying to get at that value challenge and coming at it not so much by going through members, but by going through employers uh, to figure out what they value that already exists that the organization is doing and and what could increase the value and the awareness uh, of the value. So really focusing in on relationships with those large employers. Um, And then the second one, uh, very specific around just minimizing the amount of travel required for all forms of education, because travel was a major expense factor. Um, They have people distributed all over the the United States, but then uh, internationally, most of these people really can't travel, both from an economic standpoint uh, in terms of direct cost, but then time away from work uh, as well. Big issue. So in whatever they're developing, they really need to look at the amount of, of travel as, a, as a, a, a key yardstick they're using in, in developing whatever they're going to develop going forward. So those were the two guiding policies, aligning with employer needs, minimizing travel required for all forms of education. This is online and off. And so the next uh, part of that core, we've had the diagnosis, we've had the guiding policy, now to look at coherent actions. A lot of things this organization could do, but there were definitely some that needed to be focused in on right away for some high impact. One was simply to pursue what we characterize as an employer value initiative, because uh, at this point, they didn't really know enough uh, to understand how to raise value perception with employers. So there was some homework to be done. And this often, you know, comes out of strategy that some of your initial uh, initiatives really are going to be about learning more to support uh, the guiding policy that you've come up with. So, you know, they needed to take immediate steps to uh, reach out to employers, to continue interviews, to do some surveying, and and just to really get at you know, what are the target outcomes um, that these employers would have for a credential and for the supporting education, and how how can they be measured in a way that will reflect the clear value of the offering so that they really have something solid to build on going forward. And, And it's the answers to those questions that really should drive the future product development and marketing. So that was one of the coherent actions. The next one was to introduce a virtual conference. and uh, This was to introduce an an annual virtual conference really as a way to provide much greater access to educational opportunities, both domestically, where they've already seen some declines at the face-to-face conference, um, and then also to provide an opportunity for uh, international participation. And so the idea was to transition their current face-to-face annual meeting to a much more um, focused leadership summit, where it's still attracting some of the core people that would, would come to that. Annual meeting and it made sense for, but then to um, but then to, to take what had been the, the traditional annual meeting, turn that into a, um, uh, a a virtual meeting, and then as part of that um, to to actually leverage chapters better than they have been and use them um, as a primary source for um, face-to-face education going forward. So that's really where most of the face-to-face is going to happen. And this corresponds with that minimizing travel so people who are close to the chapter can get to that face-to-face education. And then, you know, really concentrating on the the, the virtual conferences and potentially uh, taking some of the best-rated chapter uh, sessions, the face-to-face sessions, and using those as the basis for what would be delivered at the um, at the virtual conference on, online. Um, so that was the second one, introduce the virtual conference, and then flowing or uh, really coordinating with that, because remember, these are coordinated actions. They all need to kind of support uh, e- each other uh, to, to pursue the strategy. Um, so part of that is, is really going to be better coordination of education in general with the chapter. So this was the, the third coherent action, and uh, they were going to be doing some governance restructuring structuring and better defining the the roles that uh, the the chapters can play really as distribution points for the education they're offering, again, to to help provide that access, but then also to be a a source of content for the more centralized uh, format of of the virtual conference. So, you know, um, some big actions to take, but some actions that really do align very well with uh, what they had determined their their guiding policy to be.
1: Well, it's really great to have you step us through that example, Jeff. I mean, I think strategy is simple but that doesn't mean that it's easy and so i think getting to to see how it plays out is so important so that strategy doesn't remain intellectual only but we get to really see it put into action begin to understand what those core components of strategy look like. What does it look like to arrive at a diagnosis? What does it look like to identify a guiding policy or or two policies, as in the example that you shared? And then what do those coherent actions look like? So thank you. I think that was really helpful to bring it uh, much more focused, this discussion of strategy, to, to real life.
0: Well, and you know, one point I'll add to that before we uh, start winding up here is that you know, very often when you come up with a, a, a strategy and you're able to look at what you've come up with or, you know, down the road when you're able to look at what a company did, you know, or an organization did that was brilliant, you know, from a strategy standpoint, it usually does look pretty simple. It's kind of like, you know, it's one of those duh moments, yeah. like you know, <laughs> aha moment, better way to put it, I guess. Yeah. But, you know, most strategy really is usually very simple and very clear. It's just that, it is, as you're saying, the the process, the work that it takes to get to that simplicity, get to that clarity, get to the point where you have that decision framework, where you can look at it day in and day out and say, yes, we're, we're doing the right things. Now, it doesn't mean that, you know, you've always arrived at the best guiding policy. You know, they're usually different options for what your guiding policy could be and, and you're gonna have to pick one, you know, when it comes down to it. And, and you won't you'll probably never know if it was the best one. You'll only know if it was a good one um, eventually. But that's why you spend the time in diagnosis to make sure you really do understand what's going on. You spend the time to really get to what are those fundamental challenges where we're really going to be able to have an impact? And then when you've got a guiding policy that aligns to that, it's going to be positive for the organization, even if it's not the absolute best strategy. Um, you still know it's going to be a solid one that you can you know put the organization behind and, and march forward. So... That's uh, kind of our our rundown on on strategy and uh, how we tend to approach it. And of course, if you want to go deeper with us, we certainly do uh, welcome you at Learning Technology Design 2018 where we will be uh, delivering a session on it, but also be available in the forums there to answer questions. We'll probably be doing some collaborative coaching with organizations around it to help them look at their own strategy. So a lot of uh, value can be gotten out of that event. And again, you can find out more at ltd.tagoras.com. So as we're wrapping up this discussion of strategy, we want to be sure to emphasize again that all of the links that we've mentioned can be accessed in the show notes for the episode. Just go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 118. And this includes links for the learning business maturity model and the association learning plus technology report. We'll make sure we link to Richard Rummelt's book um, and just in general, the resources that we highlighted for this episode.
1: And while you're at leadinglearning.com slash episode 118, you're going to see various options for subscribing to the podcast. And if you're getting value out of the podcast, out of what you hear, we would be truly grateful if you would subscribe.
0: We would also be grateful if you'd take just a minute to give us a rating on iTunes. Just go to leadinglearning.com iTunes, and it'll put you in the right place. We really appreciate it. Uh, it helps us know that you're getting value out of the podcast. And when those reviews are out there, others can read them and know that this is just the show for them.
1: And we'd be grateful if you'd take a minute to visit our sponsor for this quarter, Blue Sky eLearn. We put a lot of work into producing and delivering the Leading Learning Podcast, and one of the main reasons we're able to do that is because of the support of sponsors like Blue Sky. So please check them out at blueskyelearn.com. In addition to finding out about their services, you'll also find a variety of great resources that they offer for free
0: last but certainly not least consider telling others about the podcast and you can send out a tweet simply by going to leadinglearning.com share and that'll pop up an auto-filled tweet that you can send out right away or you can take that language and put it into another social network of your preference whether that's linkedin facebook whatever you like out there but uh, take a moment and share the word
1: thanks again and see you next time on the leading learning podcast